0: Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network.
1: You're listening to Linux in the Hound Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD.
2: Well, hello and welcome everybody You have tuned into episode number 279 of Linux in the Hamshack. And we are all here tonight. Usual cast of characters is going to do it for you tonight. I'm Russ, K5TUX.
3: I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD.
2: All right, very good. And uh, we went through our weekender last week and our short format episode. So on this episode, we're going to take a deep dive as we do on alternating weeks. And um, there's a software package that you know we have kind of mentioned in passing a couple of times over the last 10 years but you know it's it's probably about time we actually did sort of a deep dive into it because why not we haven't really done that yet so we are going to take a quick look at well not a quick look we're going to take an in-depth look at ham radio deluxe because according to their own website uh by the way their website what is their website com. hey there's appropriate uh if you go to com, you'll see the Ham Radio Deluxe is, according to them, the best ham radio software suite for amateur radio operators. And on the very next line, you see Ham Radio Deluxe software, the radio amateur's best asset. And then on the very next line, it shows integrated software for logging, rig control, digital modes, and satellite, because, you know, no other software package does all of that. And then there's also um, a line right under the download link it says the current version of ham radio deluxe is version 650207 uh, obviously they're putting their commit ids into their uh their license or their numbers so
3: uh, yeah that's some that's some serious uh, <laughs> semi versioning or whatever <laughs>
2: well, just to make sure you have, versioning. <laughs> make sure you upgrade to 207 make sure you don't have like 196 you know you want to make sure you have the very latest one uh, but right after that it says amateur radio software at its finest so in the first four lines on the front page of the website it's the software suite for amateur radio operators, the best one, amateur radio's best asset, and software at its finest. So how could we possibly ignore such a wonderful piece of software? So we should definitely check it out.
0: Well, you missed the premier software suite for Hamstack automa- automation, too.
2: Where is that? Did I miss that's,
0: that? that's up in the pictures up at the top of the Oh, page. it's up in the
2: pictures. I, yeah. I sort of skipped over the scrolling pictures. Yeah. All right so i guess the first thing we should talk about is the fact that since this is um basically windows only closed source software we should talk about the thing that's most important about that which is the end user license agreement so bill you want to run down some of the items on the uh, eula
3: yeah so uh, here as a uh, i i, I- booted up my windows 10 instance and you know i'm I'm going all in on this hrd so i was like i clicked the setup button after downloading a 115 meg package which is pretty large and uh yeah this is the first thing i'm presented with after i've given it permission to uh you know write a bunch of stuff onto my system (laughs) uh let's see Number one, under the end user license agreement, the agreement HRD software, LLC, the vendor grants, the user, the licensee, a non-exclusive and non-transferable license, uh the license <laughs> to use ham radio deluxe, the software. Obviously, those are all the abbreviations now. So number two, the software includes the executable computer programs and any related printed and electronic and online documentation and any other files that may accompany the product. And number three, title, copyright, intellectual property rights and distribution rights of the software remain exclusively with the vendor. Intellectual property rights include the look and feel of the software, and this agreement constitutes a license for use only and is not in any way a transfer of ownership rights to the software. And I think that one's uh, the the most interesting in this, this piece of software.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. But, you know, to that end, we should probably
3: just run down a few or more of these bullet points just to be sure that we're uh, being thorough here. Sure, the software may be loaded onto more than one computer. That's very nice of them. Using the license key and the call sign assigned to... <laughs> We're clearly not gonna do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, well the one thing you guys didn't touch on was the pricing.
2: Uh that's uh, a hundred bucks, yeah. Yeah,
0: Ham Radio Deluxe software download is a hundred dollars. You want the CD, it's a hundred and twenty. And if you want it with it's like a dollar per month. Yeah, and if you want it with USB, <laughs> it's a hundred and twenty five or if you just want maintenance uh without the media's 50.
2: Okay, so let, let let me do this. Um let's start that over so before the thing, I'm going to I'm going to fix this all later, but um so we're going to come out of the third bullet point and then I will we'll get to that there. So, uh so Bill said something about that's the most interesting part of the license agreement. Okay, so Yep.
0: All right. So but yeah, what you need to fix because you like did your record no, no no i'm
3: gonna put all that in later gotcha. so. okay. you guys are horrible about telling jokes come on <laughs> <laughs> you already blew the punch line oh well, yeah <laughs> the punch line of what? i'm just <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> all
2: right so but before we just want to make sure that you know everybody has a great outline of the end user license agreement because you're going to be subject to this and because you're only getting a license to use the software you don't actually own the software we should probably Talk about the fact, we already mentioned the fact that it's closed source, so you won't have access to any of the code or anything like that. But we also want to mention that it's not free either. So definitely, uh, we want to know how much it's going to cost to run this fantastic and all the other like superlatives they used earlier software. So uh, Cheryl, I think, was looking that up.
0: Yes. So. The, the Ham Radio Deluxe software with just the download is ninety nine ninety five. That does not include the CD or USB. The ham radio deluxe software with CD is $119.94. And the ham radio deluxe software with USB is $124.94. Or if you just want maintenance and support without the media, it's
2: $49.95. Oh, fantastic. So bargain at twice the price. Yeah. All right. And that's for one year. So <laughs> Yep. And then you have to pay again if you want continued support. All right, good. I'm going to work all that in. And now <laughs> All right, so happy April Fools, everyone. If you got through that, you can actually uh,
0: <laughs> continue listening, continue from listening
2: there. <laughs> to the real topic. And the real topic we're going to talk about tonight is open source licensing. We're going to take a little bit of a dive into open source licensing, talk a little bit about some of the licenses that are available. Uh, this is important both for people who create software and for people who use software. And we want to make sure you're aware of the li- some of the licenses that are attributed to some of the software that's out there in the amateur radio world. Or Linux and other operating systems. And we want to make sure you understand, like especially from the user perspective, like what things you are granted by that. If you want to do development on software for something you download, what changes and what information has to be propagated forward if you're going to be using certain kinds of licenses. So we thought we would talk a little bit about that without getting too deep into the legalese. We'll just talk about the licenses themselves. Uh, what they grant, whether they're permissive, non permissive, copyleft or copyright. And, uh, then we'll move on to some feedback and some announcements. Uh, but since Bill was kind enough to download a bunch of different licenses, uh, especially <laughs> the popular ones, cause there are some very popular ones. Uh, we'll run down some of those and we'll let Bill talk about
3: it. Yeah. The first ones we're going to kind of touch base with are the open source, traditional open source licenses that, uh, that you're probably most familiar with. And uh, those are mainly the GNU licenses, uh, the Mozilla, Apache, MIT licenses. And we're going to touch on, on a few more, but we're going to go over the, uh, the GNU, AGPL, and GPL licenses right now. Now, we aren't going to mention specifically the older versions of these licenses. Um, we are in uh, GPL version 3 now. Uh, and there is like a, a morphed license that sort of took over from where 2 took off. And uh, we'll get to that as well. So, but uh, we'll start with uh, the GNU AGPL version three, and this is a uh, the permissions of this strongest copy left license are the conditioned on making available the complete source code of licensed works and modifications, which include larger works uh, using licensed work under the same license. So, this uh, this if the original license is AGPL version three, the next license has to be AGPL version three. Uh, the copy and license notices must be preserved contributors provide an express grant of patent rights uh, when a modified version is used to provide a service over a network the complete source code of the modified version must be made available so the general permissions with this particular license the agpl version 3 are commercial use you have the ability to distribute modify you have the ability to patent the use and also have private use of the software Uh, some of the conditions Uh, You must disclose the source. You must include the license and the copyright notice in whole for any of the previous works that you built upon and your own work. Uh, The network use is the distribution. Uh, The same license, the same license must stay the same. And I don't know what the state changes mean.
2: (laughs) I'm not sure what state changes are referencing either. Uh, Cheryl can probably look that up while we're talking about this. But it does. This is probably a good point before we go too much further to talk about the difference between copyright and copyleft. Yeah. Um, So these are all licenses, but some of the licenses provide copyright. Very few open open source licenses provide copyright. They either are very permissive or they provide what's called copyleft. And the idea behind copyleft, and the only reason it's called that is because it's the opposite of copyright, is that it is a way of ensuring that the changes and the modifications and the software as it's redistributed get propagated under the same license that they were written in or that they were assigned at the beginning and the purpose of that especially in open source software or perhaps only in open source software is to make sure that the software always stays open source and that the modified versions are released and they're completely available and the licensing never changes. Now, some of the licenses we're gonna talk about a little bit later are not copy left. In other words, they don't have that protection for changes and modifications and redistribution. So some of the licenses will be, you can take the license, it's open source to begin with, you can grab the software, then you can change it, modify it, make it not open source and copyright it and release it as something else. Um, and those, um, yeah, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk about which ones are those, but it's probably worth noting which ones are copyleft and which ones aren't, especially if you're a user, because at some point somebody might fork a software package that you really like. And then you start using that fork and then they make it commercial and then they start charging for it. And then you're kind of screwed. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway. Uh, we'll jump back to the AGPL. Oh, and I will say something about the versions, uh, particularly of the GPL. Uh, some some licensors are worded like GPL v two, and if that is the license that's attributed to the software, then that's the license that carries forward through all modifications. But some software will be licensed, for example, GPL v two or later, which means whatever version of the GPL is currently in force is the one that the software has. If it was originally released under GPLv2, but the GPLv3 has come out, then it's GPLv3. And if 4 comes out, then it'll be GPLv4, so on and so forth. So
0: So change of state uh, from what I would gather from that would mean changing the the license for the better, for the worse, um, reversing something, overriding something that was already mentioned in there, uh, transferring, you know, meddling, etc. So, Are you
2: talking about meddling with the license?
0: Yeah, well, I, I kind of gather from, from what I'm reading that a change of state in some sort of licensing would be to modify the text um, to, you know, re- rewording it, basically. So it would be modifying it to change specific terms in the license or something of that nature
2: well that's interesting at least as as regards things like the agpl because you can't do that you have to actually you have to propagate the exact uh wording of the license oh except that if they actually change what the license is then that will propagate forward so that's probably what they're talking
3: about okay so if the the state changes in the license along the history that has to be that um, has to be um, disclosed right disclosed right yeah so yeah, it.
0: somewhere, somewhere, you know, just modifying the license somehow is the change of state,
2: right? Yeah, you know, so right, then that will carry forward to anything that is released using that in license. the
0: future, right. right?
2: All right, fair enough. We got that figured out. So we are <laughs> down to limitations <laughs> in the a g p 3
3: and and this is going to be a common theme across almost all of the licenses, and this is that the the license does not give you, you know, any liability. Uh, for it working, for it not working, for it, you know destroying your business, for it making your business totally successful, uh, blowing
0: uh, your computer up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know,
3: there's no there's no grant of liability. There's no grant of warranty for the license. So that is a limitation, and this is probably the, the biggest uh you know FUD case. <laughs> you can't you can't GPL. sue for yeah.
2: medical bills related to the hemorrhoids you get for excessive use of the software. There for example,
0: yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> now, and the the one thing here to I want to make mention because this will be the difference when you really go into the the straight uh, GNU GPL version three, which is next, is that using it on the network, so providing a network service or a software as a service or platform as a service, does indeed constitute distribution in this case. So I think that's why it's the most uh, most restrictive of the licenses for the GPL.
2: All right. And that does make a certain sort of sense as far as, um, well, I mean, if you're, if you're using it in a virtual environment or as a droplet or something like that, I mean, you're, it's definitely running a, another instance. So it would essentially be a copy. But yeah. All right. So that's the AGPL V3. So you want to compare and contrast that to the GPL V3, the one without the A? The
3: one without the A is that's that's the only difference. There's just no A. There's no A. <laughs> and, Everything's exactly the same. There's just no A. And the A stands for a network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll just read through it real quick, but uh, that's the primary difference that I, I ran across. The uh, GNU GPL version three. This is permissions of the strong copyleft license are conditioned of making, conditioned on making available complete source code of the licensed works and modifications, which include larger works using the licensed work under the same license. Uh, copyright and license notices must be preserved. Contributors provide an express grant of patent rights. So, again, this shares uh, permissions of commercial use, distribution, modification, patent use, and private use. The conditions are the disclosure of source. The license and copyright notice must be copied verbatim. You must use the same license. And, again, must uh, must accept those state changes. But it does not. It does not force you into distribution using it in a network, uh, uh, you know, um, format or, you know, service.
2: All right. Very good. Ted said something about, I think, related to state changes earlier. He said uh, everyone is permitted to copy and distribute verbatim copies of this license document, but changing it is not allowed. So in other words, you cannot initiate state changes to the license. The original license can be modified, thereby modifying state but you as the redistributor of software cannot make state changes. All right, so now we're on to the LGPL. And this one's actually a subset, another subset of the GPL, but this one has to do with libraries.
3: Right? Yeah. So the permissions of this copyleft license are conditioned on making available the complete source code of the license work. That sounds real familiar. Modification of the same license or the GNU G- GPL version three. So this one can have a different license in front of it. Uh, the copyright and license notices must be preserved. The contributors provide an express grant of patent rights. However, a larger work using the licensed work through interfaces provided by the licensed work may be distributed under different terms and without the source code for the larger work. So, essentially, what that means is you can use an API to a library that happens to be a GPL version 3 or a GPL version 3. You can use that library external to your application. And your application can be isolated and licensed differently using this LGPL version 3. So it does not necessarily have to carry on the license of the parent, you know, the AGPL or GPL. In this particular use case, when you're dealing with basically a library type interface.
2: Yep. This is specifically in the instance where you want to have something that might be a subsystem of a larger software application that you want to maintain GPL copy left compatibility with but that may be released as part of a larger piece of software that is not necessarily copyleft or even gpl.
3: So yeah, this would be good for doing like mods and stuff like that on a on a particular uh, application that maybe you you're not modifying the source but you know you ha- it has a, you know, an interface or an api that you can hit. Uh so like this would be you know if you're a mod developer you're just developing like little tools to sit on top of uh the commercial software or the the uh, gpl software uh this is a great license to actually use in that case. So
2: all right, very good. So moving on from the GPLs, we can talk about a couple of other ones that are sort of really popular in the open source space. Uh the next one is the Mozilla Public License. This one of course was developed by Mozilla for their software, but it's being used in a wider scope now. So Bill, let's run down Mozilla.
3: Yeah, so uh and we're taking all this text, I want to be honest and disclose <laughs> Because this is a uh, creative commons work here too. Uh we're getting all this stuff from uh, choose a license.com, uh, which is a great resource for kind of digging through all these licenses and bullet pointing uh, all the data for them. So I just want to go ahead and give them props for putting together that website that allows you to kind of dig into these little licenses and understand them a little bit better. And hopefully our context in our discussion is not going to uh, interfere with that knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is the Mozilla public license, and this is at version 2. Uh, the permissions of this weak this week sauce, no, weak copy life left license, are conditioned on making available source code of licensed files and modifications of those files under the same license, where in certain cases, one of the GNU licenses, so again, this could be one of those mod-type licenses, Uh, Copyright license notices must be provided. Contributors provide an express grant of patent rights. However, a larger work using the license work may be distributed under different terms and without source code, without source code for files added
2: in the larger work. So this is akin to the LGPL, where it allows for larger works to be distributed commercially and not open source. So that's why it's considered weak copyleft weak copyleft permits that strong copyleft does not any any work built on a strong copyleft license like the gpl must be gpl must be that strong copyleft
3: so yeah so if you're not interested in releasing your source code <laughs> I, I think you still have to dis- disclose the source right No okay we're not to the one that you don't have to
2: uh, you're you're talking, not me. So.
3: I know, I know. I hate when I'm, I'm talking out <laughs> loud. I yeah, I know. I was kind of like running through all of these earlier, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> yeah, so with this one, yes, yeah, so you can use it in commercial use. You can distribute it. You can modify it, patent, private use. Uh, you have to disclose the source. Uh, the conditions are that the license and copyright notice have to go out, same license, and file so all that stuff is the same and the limitations includes trademark use on this so you do not necessarily uh, grant trademark use through this particular license and i'm assuming that's for like you know putting logos on your website or something like that says powered by xyz um if it's not declared that you can actually say that it's powered by xyz sounds good to me
2: so finally we have uh well not finally i shouldn't say that but we we have the apache license uh the 2.0 version of it it's a permissive license and we're getting into the permissives now these are the ones that are not necessarily copyleft at all um which allow people to do whatever they want with the software these these are kind of very hands-off licenses these are for people who create software and then don't really care what happens to it after it's been released uh the main conditions require preservation of copyright and license notices which means you just have to say hey it's apache uh contributors provide an express grant of patent rights uh we're not getting into patents we gonna leave that one alone license works modifications and larger works may be distributed under different terms and without source code uh the permissions allow commercial use distribution modification patent use and private use and uh conditions are that the license and copyright notice and state changes are maintained uh, but again this can be rolled into a larger software package or a fork software package that can then be turned into something that is not open source so the same thing can be said for the mit license which is probably one of the most permissive licenses there is i think the mit license is like two sentences or something um it may be a little bit more than that uh, but it's a short and simple permissive license that can Conditions only requiring preservation of copyright and license notices. License works, modifications, and larger works may be distributed under different terms and without source code. It allows commercial use, distribution modification, and private use. Conditions are that the license and copyright notice be preserved and limitations on liability and warranty. But again, you can take something that's MIT licensed and make it not MIT licensed. That's how permissive it is. And I don't know what the unlicense is, Bill, so tell me what the unlicense is.
3: Yeah, this is one they list there. It's a license with no conditions whatsoever, which uh, dedicates works to the public domain. Uh, Unlicensed works, modification, of larger works may be distributed under different terms and without source code. Uh, And I'm assuming that you can, uh, again, as I say, use it for commercial use, distribution, modification, private use, no conditions whatsoever, and of course, no no liability or warranty uh, limitations. Uh, are granted there. All right, very good. We Sound, probably sounds done. more like a Creative Commons type. It, it
2: is. I think that's for software. It's like the equivalent of public domain for software. Yeah. So we're gonna kind of skip over the subsets of BSD licenses because they're all kind of the same thing, and there's just uh, some excess verbiage in some of them. Uh, you can go to that site we've mentioned. That will be in the show notes, and there will be a couple of other links to various other licensing websites or licensing explanation websites. Uh, that you'll be able to check out if you wanna learn more about software licensing and some of the lesser known software licenses. Um, There's of course like shareware and beerware and freeware and blah, blah, blah. and these are all licenses as well, most of which you may have heard of. Uh, But switching gears and getting out of the software, we're gonna jump over into uh, performances or creative works. And creative commons is an organization that has put together a bunch of licenses to allow people to distribute created works which are not
3: software they can be software though
2: they can be software but it's generally used for things like podcasts for example our podcast is released under a creative commons license and the idea behind the creative commons licenses is to allow people to use freely the things that are produced and depending on the kind of license either modify or not modify or use commercially or not use commercially or something like that but we're going to kind of go through uh, some of the different creative commons licenses which generally reference things that are not software but could uh, but they're usually for created works like music podcasts uh, television programs things like that things that people create uh, the first of the Creative Commons licenses, and I'm just going to go over this one because I'm the one who threw it in there, is called the CC0 license. And actually, if you go to creativecommons.org, this one's not really talked about that much. And if you go to like their license chooser, CC0 doesn't even show up as an option. But uh, CC0 is the equivalent for Creative Works to public domain. Uh, the idea behind this is there is no license granted at all. It's out there in the world. The creator has... Claims no rights to the creative work, which means you can do whatever you want with it. You can use it in any way you choose, uh, including incorporating it into another work and then releasing it commercially or something like that. It's a very permissive license. It's about the most permissive license there is without actually not having a license. So it's basically a license that says, here's a thing, do what you will. Uh, but Creative Commons is kind of focused on the creative works equivalent of copyleft and the idea being that you allow people to do creative things with creative works but maintain the availability of those works so bill's going to run down some of the different versions of creative commons
3: right so our first one is uh the attribution the cc by and this license lets others distribute it, remix, tweak, and build upon your work, even commercially, as long as they credit you for the original creation. This is the most accommodating of the licenses offered, recommended for maximum dissemination and use of license materials. The second one uh, is the attribution share alike. And that's uh, designated by CC and by-SA. Uh, This license lets others remix, tweak and build upon your work, even for commercial purposes, as long as they credit you and license their new creation, new creations under the identical terms. The license is often compared to copy left free and open source license software, uh, software licenses. All new works based on yours will carry the same license. So any derivations will also allow commercial use. This is a license used by Wikipedia and is recommended for materials that would benefit from incorporating content from Wikipedia and similarly licensed projects. <clears throat> uh, the next one is uh, attribution no derives, and I can almost guess what this one means, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is designated by a CC by dash Uh, The license lets others reuse your work for any purpose, including commercially. However, it cannot be shared with others in adapted form, and credit must be provided to you. So, no derivations. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The attribution non commercial, the evil one. No, no, just kidding. Uh, The CC BY NC. uh, This license lets others remix, tweak, and build upon your work non commercially. Non commercially. And although their new works must also acknowledge you and be non-commercial, they don't have to license their derivative works on the same terms. So they can take the the license and change it. And this will be that state change that occurs, right? (laughs) Well, it doesn't change the actual
2: state of the license. What it does change is the ability of the person to create a derivative work and then relicense it in some other way. If you're doing share-alike, that's not possible. Share-alike means that any derivative work must be licensed share-alike which means somebody else could then create a derivative work of the derivative work non-commercial and any non-share like a creative commons license does not permit that. Ah,
3: awesome. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's clear. Uh, attribution non-commercial share alike. just like you just mentioned the CC by NCSA. This license lets others remix tweak and build upon your work non-commercially as long as they credit you and license their new creations under the identical terms. And the next one, the final one,
2: attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, which you're about to talk about, is the way Linux in the HamShack is licensed. So let's
3: find out how we're licensed. Yeah, this is CC BY ND. This license is the most restrictive of our six main licenses, only allowing others to download your works and share them with others as long as they credit you. But they can't change them in any way or use them commercially.
2: Yep, and that's the way we want it. We want people to share as much as they want, but we don't want people to make derivative works and we don't want people to abuse our content by releasing it in some commercial way. So
3: want to make a remix of the podcast. Wicked, 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 wicked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no.
2: <laughs> and the reason we're licensed this way is because there was a time in the past where people were actually using and making derivative works of our podcast and releasing them in other ways. So that's why. That is why we were licensed by the most restrictive of the Creative Commons licenses. But we are still Creative Commons, and you are still free to distribute as long as you attribute as much as you like. So there you go. Awesome.
3: And uh, I guess we're not going to really talk about the BSD licenses. We could, but they don't really change that much. They're very similar, as uh, you said. And uh, we are going to include those in the show notes. So you can go ahead and uh, read those if you haven't been bored to death by licenses yet. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we have. Uh, this is one of those topics that a lot of people always ask. You know, what's a license? What's a license? What's a license? And uh, you know, we don't always know <laughs> what they mean <laughs> necessarily, uh, and and what the actual uh, uh, the, the restrictions and stuff are. You know, it's interesting, especially with the AGPL license. You know, if you're building your you know commercial product on top of an AGPL framework. Let's say a network framework, you know, all of a sudden your your product becomes AGPL version three as well, which uh you know could be scary if you didn't want to release all your software. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Out uh so you gotta be real, real uh real really paying attention to some of the licenses of these projects that you uh you know, oh I'm gonna install X framework of the week. (laughs) You know, uh definitely check the license files on these uh on these projects that you're using. Uh sitting underneath your projects uh it's it's very important that you comply with those licenses and you don't want to get stuck in a situation where the license forces you to do something that wasn't intended for you to do so uh yeah definitely definitely take some time to read the licenses i know we we're all about hitting next, 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 in windows and not really paying attention and uh You know, Linux is, uh, you know, you can app get anything and you're not reading licenses and you can pip install things and the licenses don't come up. So you don't really, uh, you don't really think about it that much unless you actually go in and look at the software. You know, you know, these, these package libraries like NPM and pip and gems and all this other stuff, uh, kind of obscure the license. <laughs> so, take some time, understand what you're adding to your project, take some time and and read the licenses and know which version that you're dealing with so you're not 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 putting your software into a non-compliant situation.
2: Yep, absolutely. And there's a couple of things I want to add to that. The first is that I am hoping that if there are any developers who are listening to this who actually provide software in the open source world and license them in some way that you clearly state especially on a website or somewhere where it's really easy to see what your license is. It's very hard to find sometimes what a software is licensed under. And that may be simply an oversight. It may be somebody who's actually trying to obfuscate what their license is. Usually when something's open source, people are reasonably clear about how something is licensed, especially if it's a copyleft based license. But sometimes you go to a software package, and this has come up on our show before, where we talk about some piece of software somewhere, and then we have to say, oh, so what's the license on this software? And then it requires 15 minutes of digging <laughs> to determine what this, the license actually is. So it would be nice if that was prominently displayed, even if it's commercial, even if it's, you know, whatever the license is, you shouldn't be afraid to actually let people know what the license is. So there's that and i think i may have forgotten what the other thing was (laughs) oh oh it actually goes back to our little joke topic at the beginning about ham radio deluxe and i don't know so i'm not going to speculate about the latest versions because they're up to six oh whatever they are 207 um but once upon a time i'm pretty sure and we we talked about this on the show before i'm pretty sure part of ham radio deluxe was licensed gpl they used something gpl in Ham Radio Deluxe. Now, technically, what that means is all of Ham Radio Deluxe should be GPL um, because you cannot build derivative works on a GPL-licensed software package, even if it's just part of your application that isn't released completely as open source in GPL. Now, I don't know if they've gotten away from that by removing whatever that piece was uh, in the current version, but I'm pretty sure that was the case at one point.
3: Yeah, and they've they've gone through like a full rewrite and stuff like that when they uh went away from uh, the VB6 right. land okay. that they lived in. So I'm assuming that that's probably not an issue anymore. I mean, with as much legal troubles as they've been in over the uh, past <laughs> few years, not necessarily legal troubles, but, well, you know, a mixture of possible litigation when they uh, blacklisted uh, some people and uh, had some issues there with some customer support and uh so yeah yeah let's um, just say
2: 2016 was not a banner year for ham radio
3: to like no no and if you want a good laugh go back and listen to episode 180 so or whatever it was <laughs> 180 or 190 i care i don't remember but yeah <laughs> so uh yeah yeah definitely let's see here yeah blacklist 180 180 is the episode yeah so um yeah and I thought that was actually a good uh, a good joke topic to kind of segue into licensing, only because it does have one of those really bad permissive or non permissive. licenses. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> so you know it, it kind of fit in you know, fit in and stuff like that. And did you did you find any other good April Fools' things going on today?
2: Not really. Honestly, I've been so buried under everything else, I haven't had the opportunity. So
3: well, while I was looking, and you mentioned stuff, I was uh, I was I happened to look. And uh, it looks like the GNU Linux uh, distros are dropping support for VI. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Excellent. They're going with Nano. (laughs) Uh, That is so good. It's funny that we brought up Nano. It was last Uh episode, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. (laughs) Because Nano has become so excellent lately that no one needs Emacs or Vi or any other text editor at this point. Um, Everybody should just just use Nano.
3: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the other one was uh this radio is, club please okay. don't take
2: this as disparaging for the people who actually develop nano because it's a perfectly fine text editor i just it
3: doesn't fit me <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean i've used it that's it that's all i can say i've used it on every install at least once <laughs> right until i realized
2: that my default editor sits in nano and then i fix that
3: but (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like ah darn (laughs) and another one i found uh, was quite humorous on the ham radio side of things because you know after all it's kind of what we do here uh the radio club petitions fcc to fix call area confusion and this is a petition to have uh people that live in their physical location their call signs uh change their call sign number to match their location and if uh And if they don't have it, so let's say your call sign was, uh, you know, NE4RD, like mine, and I live in the 7th Area Call District, I would have to have NE7RD. And if that wasn't available, I would get the next sequentially issued call sign from group A, B, C, or D. And it looked looked totally legit, but it's not.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think they should just do that and allow you to put, like, an extra digit on your call sign. So instead of being NE7RD, you could be, like, NE17RD. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, you'd still have the, you still have the area designator, yeah. but it would allow basically 10 people to have the same call sign in the same call area.
3: Yeah. Well, I think it would be worse <laughs> than this joke would be like uh, forcing everybody to actually do stroke. <laughs> like,
2: they should just eliminate the any call <laughs> signs entirely, and just reassign everybody's call signs sequentially. Yeah, just start over yeah just start the whole damn thing over
3: (laughs) no one has a call sign anymore we're just going to rev them all up based upon your license class and you get what you get you don't throw a fit (laughs) someone's going to put a sequential
2: you know a sequential number generator on the uls database and then next thursday everyone's just going to have a new call sign so (laughs) (laughs) and they're all going to be two by threes yeah (laughs) that way you get rid of all the the elitism having a one by two or a two by one and
3: all of that so i would really piss people off
2: (laughs) exactly
3: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so funny uh yeah i didn't really uh i didn't really participate today i've been too busy myself and (laughs) i just i just happened to look in the last hour after dinner and i was like oh these are great although there was no like real big ones that right it stood out i guess gmail did something i have no idea what i stare at gmail all day so i don't uh i don't notice anything except for like a birthday thing because they're you know 15 years or something like that yeah all right so now we're into announcements and feedback Yay! yeah very good i think we beat licenses to death
2: so let's just talk about some other stuff uh, oh, is that first, what
0: you guys were talking about when i was napping or? uh yeah that's exactly
3: what we were talking about <laughs> so, so if you're in your car wake up now quick <laughs> and we did a
2: complete deep dive into ham radio deluxe we went through all of the different things we talked about satellite tracking yeah
3: forget that dm780 okay. loved it DM, yeah. yeah
2: absolutely
0: wow i should pay more attention
2: yeah you should and we'll, i'll even install windows 10 on one of your machines just so you can
3: run it
0: i already have windows 10 that's what i'm using now <laughs>
3: it it was updating earlier yeah it was updating
0: earlier yeah remember i was caught in like update hell so
3: yeah again i never turn any of my windows boxes off (laughs) they're never they're never not updated i have to say though that the updates
2: go much faster now so oh yeah yeah, yeah, they do yeah Yeah. yep
0: Yeah, so waiting 30 minutes, it takes more like three. But, yeah. All
2: right, so jumping into announcements and feedbacks, real quick, we'll run down. We've got the Hamvention 29 campaign, 2019 campaign. is still going. Hamvention is like 45 days away or something. It's coming up really soon. Uh, so if you can donate to our Hamvention campaign, we'd really appreciate it. We're about halfway there. We really need the rest of it in order to uh, make sure we get everything taken care of before we show up in Xenia this year, uh, url.bcts.info stroke hbc2019. Sorry, I had to <laughs> figure that one out. Uh, is the URL? Of course, it's posted everywhere on the website. It's on all the social media networks everywhere. So, if you could please donate to that, every five dollar donation or more helps out, and we really appreciate everybody who's donated already. And we'll see everybody in Ohio coming up soon enough. Uh, don't forget the Eyeball QSO, which is going to happen at Zydeco's in Mooresville, Indiana, on May fifteenth. Uh, around about six thirty p.m should be quite a crowd there and we'll all enjoy some drinks and some cajun food together before we head on to hamvention so please show up there's no invitation necessary just go we'll see you there
0: and we'll even get to hang out with the chef k9k yeah
2: k9k who's a fantastic guy and you definitely want to meet him if you haven't already oh so, yeah and then there's we had three orders come through the linux and the ham shack shop people bought various items so this is excellent. We want to thank everybody who's purchased some things through there. That stuff went all into the Hamvention Fund, so that will help out as well. Yep. And all of those orders will be shipping tomorrow, which is April 2nd. So when you're listening to this, if you uh, are listening after April 2nd and are wondering where your stuff is, it's just right know it, it was shipped on April 2nd. Yeah. So there you go. All right. And since Cheryl hasn't really done a whole lot of this episode, except for take a little nap. We're going to have you read our one bit of feedback, and this is from Steve, KD0IJP. Yes,
0: and Steve had to say, one use of LVM that might be worth mentioning, if during an Ubuntu install, probably other variants of Ubuntu and other distros too, you choose to do the entire disk encryption, you end up using some LVM, even though you might not realize it. When you do disk encryption, you can't really use normal disk disk partitions. When you boot up and the disk is decrypted, it gets mapped to a device file like slash dev, slash mapper, slash crypt drive, that is a block device, but is not partitionable like a disk drive. So LVM is used to turn that block device into a volume group, and then logical volumes are created to make up the partitions that we you would normally expect, such as a root partition and a swap partition. These logical volumes end up with device paths like slash dev, slash xubuntu, dash vg, slash swap, and slash dev, slash xubuntu, dash vg slash root this is all done for you transparently and you might not know about it until you try to mount a disk has already been set up this way and you're like what the (laughs) what the badger yeah
2: yeah so that's something i didn't realize i have never actually installed a computer with an encrypted hard drive or an encrypted partition i have never in my life done that bill have you no
0: Yep. Yeah, so there you go. You learned something.
2: So we have definitely learned something. And I did not realize that LVM was used as part of that configuration. I don't think that really references LVM specifically, or at least the level of, you know, what we were talking about as far as partitioning drives, creating physical volumes, volume groups, and so on and so forth. But there's definitely great additional information. If you do plan to encrypt your hard drive, uh, you might want to make note of the fact that this file system structures and used underneath that encryption so that when you're looking at your file system, you're not at a loss as to why it doesn't show like slash dev slash SDA something or whatever on your machine. So we want to definitely thank Steve, kd Zero, IJP for that information because uh, it's something we didn't know. And I'd be curious how many people of anybody. Do you know that? Well, not necessarily know that, but actually use encryption right. on their systems. I'm sure people do. Right. I mean, but for a home desktop, I've never done that. And honestly, for a business system, I've never done it either. So there's yeah. that. I, I always, I always worry too much about losing the encryption key or the password or whatever it is that allows you to decrypt the information. And then you basically just hung yourself. So I would prefer to protect the system in other ways and leave the file systems unencrypted. All right. With that, we have actually made it down to the epi- uh, the end of episode number 279. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. We hope to see everybody out in Hamvention and Xenia in May of this year. And until then, you know, keep fighting the good fight. Keep listening to Linux in the Shack, and we'll catch you all in a week's
3: time. I'm Russ, K5TUX.
0: I'm Cheryl, W5MOO.
3: And I'm Bill, NA4RD73.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreoncom Podcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or hamfest. Email ambassadors at LHSpodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net 8008 LHS Live. Until next time, over and out.